0: How much importance is there in a definition? Well, potentially millions of pounds if you are Uber, who suffered a major loss in the Employment Appeal Tribunal earlier on this week, as it was found that their UK drivers are not self-employed. In this special bonus episode of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, Marcus Cleaver, we are going to take a look at the Aslam and Uber case, and consider its wider implications for the ride-hailing service. At its core, the argument is very simple. Aslam, alongside many other Uber drivers, argued that they were workers under the various definitions found in the Employment Rights Act 1996, the Working Time Regulations 1998, and the National Minimum Wage Act 1998 as well. Such a finding would have far reaching consequences and mean that the drivers would be entitled to things like a minimum wage and time off, etc., as you would expect in an ordinary employment situation. On the other hand, Uber argued that the drivers were independent contractors and therefore not entitled to the same rights that employees have. Without going too deeply into the technical elements of any legal definition, An employee is essentially defined as such by looking at the control that the purported employer, in this case Uber, has over the purported employee, in this case the drivers. To give a very basic example, someone who works in your local coffee shop would be considered an employee because they have a uniform that they have to wear, they have to be at the place of employment at certain times, and they can be disciplined or ultimately fired if they are not performing up to the standards that are expected of them within the employment contract. In other words, the employer has a clear level of control over the employee's activities. With Uber, there are more grey areas, and there are arguments on both sides. Uber argued that the drivers can work for other companies, including other ride-hailing services. The drivers also meet all of the expenses with respect to their vehicles. They also consider themselves as self-employed for tax purposes, and there's no uniform that the drivers actually have to wear. On the other hand, the arguments that do suggest there is a greater degree of control for employment purposes include the fact that drivers are essentially given the route that they have to take on any particular journey. The rating system also means that drivers are punished if they do not reach certain expectations, and they can be punished if they do not conduct themselves appropriately. And finally, there are penalties in place if the drivers do not accept jobs when they are logged onto the app. After reviewing all of the arguments on both sides, Judge Edy agreed with the overall approach taken by the Employment Tribunal in the original case, and therefore dismissed Uber's appeal. Of course, this isn't the end of the question by any means, and Tom Elvidge, the acting head of Uber in the UK, has already said that they will appeal the case to the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court if needs be. How they will get on is entering into the realm of speculation, but thus far the courts have not been entirely sympathetic to Uber's arguments, in the sense that while they make it appear that the drivers are independent contractors in terms of their messaging, the practical reality of the situation is that they are employees. One of the original conclusions from the Employment Tribunal is worth repeating, as they note that Uber's, quote, general case and the written terms on which they rely do not correspond with the practical reality. The notion that Uber in London is a mosaic of 30,000 small businesses linked by a common platform is, to our minds, faintly ridiculous, end quote before we do conclude this episode it would be remiss not to also think about the wider implications of the case in the context in which it occurs. Ultimately the reason we're talking about this case in a bonus episode is because Uber is such a famous company and has grown so quickly to its current estimated value of 70 billion dollars. The way in which the company operates and its sheer pervasiveness have had a huge impact on the cultural, political and economic landscape of the countries in which it operates. Think about the number of people who now say they will get an Uber rather than get a taxi, and you realise that they are even affecting the way that we use language. With such rapid growth, however, comes a large degree of risk, especially when you are upsetting the apple cart This has begun to show itself in a range of news stories about the company itself, such as its aggressive and macho workplace culture, that eventually led to the resignation of its founder, Travis Kalanick, as chief executive. There have also been allegations that the company does not do enough to vet its drivers before letting them drive for Uber. Meanwhile, the case that we are looking at is by no means the only legal and political struggle it is involved with. Uber was recently banned from operating in London by TfL for not being, quote, fit and proper to operate in the city, and is in the process of appealing that decision as well. At an even higher level, a decision is expected from the Court of Justice of the European Union by the end of the year regarding whether Uber is to be considered a taxi service. As with the case that we are looking at, if Uber loses, there are serious implications in terms of the regulatory burden that will be placed upon them, such as safety requirements and other employment rules. The firm is therefore under increasing strain as it grows, but this is perhaps to be expected as political and legal institutions have to find a way to react quickly to a service that is revolutionising the way that people work and travel. The main focus in the media has been the so-called gig economy, whereby workers do not have a formal contract of employment. While companies such as Uber have argued that this offers people a greater degree of flexibility in terms of how and when they work, critics say that the way of operating is exploitative of poorer members of society by denying them minimum wage and a range of other benefits that are associated with being classed as an employee. Ultimately, it is going to have to be up to politicians and judges to find an answer to these questions, but they are doing so in an era where technology is changing things rapidly, and the law is struggling to keep up. The concept of control as a factor that helps to decide employment status is still effective, but there are legitimate questions about the way that this is interpreted by the courts. As this case has shown, companies like Uber go out of their way to give the impression that there is no element of control in their relationship with the drivers. But the way that the app actually operates means that if you dig into the software, control does exist and has practical effects on the people driving private hire vehicles across the country. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this bonus episode of the UK Law Weekly podcast. I'll be back as usual on Monday with another case from the Supreme Court, so I hope to catch you then. In the meantime, bye!